This is Ibarian X, and welcome to The Candid Frame. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME. We also have the support of PhotoBiz Exposed, an interview podcast which takes the mystery out of the business of photography. Learn from some of the industry's best as Andrew Helmich discovers how people make their passion their life's work. Find out more by visiting photobizx.com forward slash TCF. On a single day, several weeks ago, I had the opportunity to meet three photographers while photographing in downtown Los Angeles. Though I can always count on bumping into a photographer or two while I'm out there, it's rare that I have a chance to meet such exceptionally talented people. Two of these people, John Free and Matt Stewart, you've already heard from in recent episodes of the show. Today, you get to hear from the third person, Blake Andrews, who along with Matt Stewart is also a member of the Street Photography Collective in public. We started by asking him how he found his experience practicing street photography in the City of Angels. I've uh, been there a few times. So that was maybe my third time in the last few years. So I'm getting to know it a little better. I still, there's a much of it that I haven't seen yet. But yeah, every time I come, it's it's enjoyable. I love shooting there. How did you find it? I always talk to photographers who are from Los Angeles. I'm kind of curious as what your experience was uh, as a foreigner <laughs> coming into <laughs> you the mean city of Angels. my general impressions of Los Angeles as a uh, photographer? As a photographer, as a... yeah, as, as far as exploring it with your camera. Oh, it's a great place. I love it. It's uh, the downtown especially. I like just because it has a real sort of uh, unpolished quality. I mean, it it feels like sort of the neglected part of town, which is a little odd because most cities downtown is sort of the showcase. Right. So, but mm -hmm. LA is a little bit backwards. I think downtown is like the underbelly still. And uh, I guess it's changing quickly, but that's the part that sort of attracts me most is because I, I don't, you know, I can see sort of places that fix themselves up and present themselves in a certain way, any place, but LA doesn't quite have that yet. Downtown at least. Well, you should have seen it about 20, 25 years ago. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it was yeah. even funkier back then. First time I saw it was maybe three years ago. But I have a friend, uh, actually the, a guy I was traveling with in this last trip, Bruce, who used to shoot. He's shown me all sorts of photos that he made back there in the 80s and 90s and sort of gives me a taste of what it used to be. And actually, that's what I, I think it's a little bit like that still. I mean, that's one thing I like about it is that you know, it feels a little bit like a time warp, especially Broadway and the area is sort of, uh, what is it? I guess it would be east of there. And right. sort mm -hmm. of sort of feels like you're walking back about 30 years in time. Yeah, which is one of the reasons I've always liked photographing there. Because in Los uh -huh. Angeles, you get parts of it, especially, you know, the, the, the more west you go. There's so little of the history of Los Angeles that, that gets left. So much of it has been mowed down in order to make, you know, make for quote-unquote progress yeah. strip malls and all these things so you can still see little hints of it especially if you well, go down the wilshire corridor but so much of the rest of the city has been 
you know, uh, sort of been wiped away that unless you know where to look, um, you, you'll miss it. Yeah, that's sort of the story of every city, right? I mean, that's that's development in the last 30 years across the country. And maybe that's, uh, you know, that's why I'm drawn to the downtown there, because it hasn't quite been wiped away. But you, that that situation you're talking about is in, is everywhere. I mean, the suburban sort of sprawl that takes over and it's just part of life now. You don't even think you notice it anymore. You almost have to go out of your way to go someplace different. But what appeals to you uh, about that photographically? Well, I mean, I can sort of, maybe this is just me convincing myself that it's more real, but it's, uh, it's what I mentioned a little earlier, the unpolished quality. I mean, most people even, and most places sort of make an attempt to sort of present themselves in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And the sort of a, I don't want to call that fake, but it's definitely a facade that's conscious. And I think when you can sort of find areas that don't have that, I mean, it, some people might view that as like right, uh, ruined porn or visual slumming or whatever. I Another way to view it is just you're, you're sort of looking at something without uh, a lot of uh, screens in between you and the, the way it naturally is. So, I mean, as a photographer, I think every photographer would probably be drawn to that, or most documentary photographers anyway. Do you find it harder to, to make photographs in areas that aren't like that, that are more sort of modernized, that are more sort of cleaned up or, or polished, for, for lack of a better word? Uh, well, I can make photos anywhere. I I don't think it's harder or easier one place or another, but I think the material that I find more interesting is the, the material that's sort of... Uh, and I hate to use the word more natural. I guess that's the word I'll use though. I, just a little more unmanipulated. Uh, that's what I find more interesting. Whether it's harder or easier, that's sort of a unreal, different question. Yeah. But um, well, for me, it's kind of interesting when I see some photographers who do go, uh, who do photograph in those areas that are sort of less classic, like downtown Los Angeles is, and they make some interesting photographs because it forces me to to see it in a way that um, I, I might not otherwise. I think part of it is that we get so accustomed to looking at uh, certain parts of our community or our town or city. Uh -huh. And as a photographer, it's it's sort of like a, uh, it's a challenge to be able to sort of to shake that familiarity to the point that we can take a look at it in a way that makes for an interesting photograph. Does that make sense? Well, that's... I think that's a challenge for you because you live there, right? So you have to yeah. work every day to see LA as a as a fresh place. I, for me, it's probably much easier because I'm a I don't live there and I come there and everything is sort of new and unfamiliar. And I sort of every direction I turn, it's a photographic turn on. And that's you know one reason I enjoy going to new places is for that for that effect. You know, if you I guess the trick is to sort of twist that and get that perspective in everyday life, no matter where you are. And that's tough. Well, tell me about that transitioning that you had to make when you were, you were living at Portland at one point, right? Yeah. I lived there for about 15 years. And and now you're what's what, what city? <laughs> exactly. That's the, that question sums it up. What's it's uh, Eugene about Eugene. two hours south of Portland. Okay. So t tell me about that transition in terms of having to, you know, get, you know, you're custom shooting in Portland, which is a pretty sort of modern, bustling city, to Eugene, which is I assume a little quieter. 
Okay, yeah, Eugene's smaller. It's a college town, basically. Um, I mean, I mentioned just a little earlier, I can shoot just about anywhere. I don't require certain material, but um, it gets a little thin here because I ha have a pretty good sense of what I'm going to find wherever I go in Eugene. So I can, it's to tap into that fresh, unfamiliar button is a little bit trickier. I have to stretch out a little, maybe search out events and um, crowds, whereas in Portland, it was just right out the door a little more. But even, I mean, it's all relative. Even Portland, I think most people in a big city would find that very provincial. You call it a modern city, but it's sort of just a, an outpost out on the coast, basically. <laughs> so, you know, and then if you're coming from, you know, I grew up in a really small town. So compared to that, Eugene is like a metropolis. So just depends where you're coming from. So, so how did you find that your your seeing changed as a result of moving to, to, to Eugene? I think my observation is similar. I mean, I, I'm still looking for the same things I was in Portland. They're just a little more diluted here, so I have to search harder. You know, I've always, I don't think the way I've shot has changed too much in the last 20 years. I'm basically, I guess I call myself a graphic, sort of a formalist. Um, more, I'm interested in putting big pictures together in weird puzzles instead of concentrating necessarily on uh, people or specific uh, emotions or anything like that. So that's true in Eugene as well as Portland. And um, I mean, I went through these. One thing that I've sort of phased out of recently as I was in these huge grid projects, one in Portland and then in Eugene, which sort of got me out in different parts of the city on a regular basis mm -hmm. and know that those have ended just last year. Uh, I had to sort of push myself to do that on my own, whereas before it was a little more of a regular circuit I had. So does that answer? Is that where you were going with that question? I, I'm not sure if I... Well, well, could you explain what this grid project was? Well, the grid, I, you can find information online that's probably summed up there and I can describe it. It's basically a, a group project to, to photograph. Well, it start, I got involved in Portland and the group up there and it's uh divides the city into various sections and then every month we photograph a different section the whole the entire group on our own schedule um so that was it's been through a few rounds in portland i was involved in the second round and then when i came to eugene like eight years ago i started a group similar to that here so i did the same thing and that was a really interesting great way to explore the city actually i just moved here i didn't really know my way around I just took it month by month and explored a different chunk. That was really great, but that's so that's over now, and I feel like I've basically seen in the entire city. <laughs> now I need to fly to LA or something. That sounds that sounds fascinating. But um, t tell me about this this group of photographers that you that you uh, put together in Eugene. How did you make that happen, or was that already existing and you just became part of it? I just sent out a few feelers. I, I mean, I, I didn't know that many people here. I still don't know a whole lot of photographers here. But uh, I put out a few emails, and one person led to another person. I found there's a people just sort of heard about it, uh, word of mouth. And then, I you know, there was anywhere from between six to ten people coming and going at different points. I think there's maybe, at the, through the entire thing, maybe five of us that were pretty consistent the entire way. And when you guys just post sharing images online, did you get together to share photographs? No, out of no, that was, no, we were getting together every month physically, which is really rewarding. I, that's 
still the way that I enjoy uh, sharing it, images best. I mean, I can, I see a lot of stuff online. I sort of get burned out a little bit online just looking at so much stuff. And also the interaction is a little bit, uh, it's just heavily mediated. I mean, it's great to just be in a room with someone and share photos. There's nothing quite like that. No, amen. Even, amen. <laughs> even if, it, I mean, I have a few, actually, I still go to a group in Portland where we do that and we share photos, but actually a lot of the talk has nothing to do with the photos. It's just a matter. It's just hanging out with other photographers and shooting the shit, you know, I guess you can do that online, but it's not quite the same for me, at least. No, I, yeah, I also prefer that. I mean, I'm, I'm not much of a, a social butterfly online. You know, I know they have all these different forums and things like that, but you know, I ha don't have a lot of interest in, in typing on the keys to communicate with someone. Right. You know, I just, so do you have a group in LA that you meet with? Or? Well, I have some friends that I get together with periodically and we yeah. go out and shoot or just to, to, to socialize and things like that. But even that I don't do often enough, but yeah, uh -huh. I've never gravitated to, to what happens online, even though I'm, you know, I do a podcast and I have an online presence. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess part of it is that I'm always in indoors in the office that I want to get out. I want to, be with people yeah. I, I don't want to have another excuse to sit in front of the computer for a couple of hours well that's what's great about photography if you all it takes is you and a camera and you can go walk around and have a good time for an hour whatever a week or a month or however long you have one of the things that i've learned as a result of the podcast is how we are all consuming content Increasingly, people are accessing their content on their smartphones and tablets. Though the desktop computer still plays a role, it shouldn't surprise you that people are using devices that fit in the palm of their hands to visit and explore a website. Is your website keeping up with that? If not, you should try out Squarespace, whose interface allows your website to look great regardless of the device or platform. Think about how many websites you give up on when they don't render well or aren't fast enough on your phone. You want your website experience to be consistently a good experience and Squarespace helps you to do just that. Find out for yourself by taking advantage of their 14 day free trial. You don't need a credit card, just create an account and go for it. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME to get 10% off and to show your support for the show. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. You know, I, I was reading about some of the influences he had, and one of them I wanted to talk to you about, which is Lee Friedlander. Yeah. Because um, uh, I, I, I love uh, his work. And he's he was a photographer that ch challenged me early on because I would take a look at his photographs, and I just didn't get them. Yeah. And uh, it took me a while. And I think that uh, with all this interest in street photography, I think as far as a lot of people who are sort of discovering it, um, uh, he gets overlooked. And I think that uh, the, his choice of subject, but especially the way that he he composes and makes his photographs is both interesting, challenging and and, and exciting. T tell me about what you know, what inspires you about his, his work and, and how it's influenced, influenced what you do? He's always been a, an inspiration. I mean, he, I, I can't say that I actually look at a lot of his photos anymore, but I, there was a period that was really formative for me when I was very in, interested in his work and 
sort of sent me in a new direction. It's sort of like, I mean, there's people come along probably for you too, where you just find their work and you get excited and look at all their books and dig them up online and then sort of sends you into a new place for a little bit. So that definitely happened to me with him. And uh, I guess I'm still in that new place. I mean, I probably wouldn't be the same photographer without seeing his stuff. I mean, basically the way the way he sort of has the same visual voice that he can apply to any subject matter, I guess that's a little bit of what I was referring to earlier when I said I can make photographs anywhere. I think he was sort of the same same kind of guy. I mean, he's, he's not so concerned with like what's in the picture. I mean, that's of course, that's important, but he's basically just using the, the subject matter as a sort of a visual exercise to sort of create layers, combine them, mix them up in a weird way and, and uh, make you just think about what's in front of you and how it relates to what's going to be in the photograph, which has always been a sort of the root of photography for me is that relationship between those two things. And I think he plays with the, in a really uh, sort of a novel way. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's really interesting because he's, he's, he's making images on the street, but it's not the way most people conceive of as street photography, which I think oftentimes. Gets... I'm not even sure I would call him a street photographer. I mean, I, I guess he used to shoot in bigger city. I think most of the photos I've seen by him recently are, probably not street photographs in the classic sense yeah and i think that's one of the reasons i kind of wanted to, to talk uh, talk about him because i think um the the focus of what is a street photograph i, I think has become uh incredibly narrow you know where it just becomes people walking down the street and i think that it's so much so much more because i think of william eggleston and, and the work that he did and a lot of that stuff was on the street, and some of it might be designated as street photography, but the great majority wouldn't. But I think it's just as apt to describe what you can and and should be looking for when you're out there. It's not just about you know photographing a character crossing an intersection. I mean, there's so much more possibility out there for for photographs, and I think when people you know don't really expand their 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 purview, they 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 limit themselves and the potential that, that that's out there because I think there's there's so much that we can create beautiful images of when we're out there on the street that if you focus too narrowly you miss so much. Well, you just got to find you got to find what you're interested in shooting. I mean, whether that's whether you put a label on it later and call it street photography or not. I mean, that's sort of meaningless. I'm not even sure what that label <laughs> means. I mean, that that's sort of an ongoing debate. And um, it's sort of meaningless, actually. I mean, I I think what you're saying is true. People sort of see this tag, street photography, and go and see certain photos made in that style, and then try and shoot that style. But what that that's not what they're made. That's not shooting themselves. I mean, it's basically shooting a, a tag. So I mean, it. You just got to find your voice. Find what you're interested in shooting. And maybe that's street photography. I mean, all that comes later. I think that, I mean, Friedlander, who we've been talking about, he's, you know, maybe he's a street photographer, maybe he isn't. I don't think he really cares. He's just shooting what he, what's interesting to him. But, I mean, Well, you said yourself that your photographs are, are, are self-portrait. Well, they're sort of like self-therapy. I mean, they every photograph is a self-portrait in a way because it's, 
you know, it's about the person making the picture as much as it's about what's in front of you. But it's photography is definitely a way where I can of me a way for me to sort of keep a journal and keep track of my thoughts and where and how I'm seeing things. So in that sense, you know, they're little mini self portraits. You have a, uh, we were talking about books earlier uh, and I know that you're a real fan of, of, of books. Tell me about that, that passion in terms of the, uh, the monographs and the books that you collect and they. It's hard to sum up books. I mean, I, I, I like looking at photographs and books probably more than online. I mean, there's, little precious objects i've always been into collecting stuff and so I've, now that's sort of fed into this book collecting fetish which is not probably not very healthy but you know i i collect books partly for the object and then partly because it's sort of nice to have a reference of of interesting photographs that i can check back on later i mean i use them quite a bit for writing about uh, photography and that sort of thing but also they're just sort of it's an irrational collectible urge i just these little objects that i like to have in my shelf there's no reasonable explanation for it uh i mean i've collected them for a long time i'll probably still collect them in the future and then when i die who knows they'll probably be uh, shuffled off by my kids somewhere and i don't think they're very interested in them yeah my biggest challenge is finding the space for them yeah that's always an ongoing issue i I should actually go through them and and get rid of the ones I don't really have a need for anymore. But I don't know. I I have a hard time letting go of stuff. That's you can talk to my wife about that. <laughs> she, she accuses me of hoarding, which is probably true. You you, you posted a, a recent thing on your blog about some recent books, and I'm wondering if there are any books of that uh, of that grouping or any in the you know in the recent uh, recent history that really turned you on that that. Uh, Books that really turn me on. I mean, I go through them so fast that they sort of slip through my memory. There's one that's actually sitting on my uh, desk right now that I'm going to whip out that I just found yesterday at Pals. That's uh, Artist Portraits by Alex Kaiser. I have no idea who this guy is, but it's a bunch of uh, portraits made in the 70s of well-known visual artists. And they're shot in black and white. And then it looks like he's hand-colored them with some kind of oil coloring system which i think was pretty popular back in the 80s maybe 70s 80s there was a fad of that anyway it's a weird really weird book i've never i mean they're great artists and then the portraits are sort of quirky and unusual and then you've got this hand coloring effect i've never seen anything quite like these photos they're very unusual anyway this was so that's the uh hot book of the moment i mean i'll probably th put this one on the shelf in two days and something else will come along <laughs> but you asked me just now so that's what it is 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 Powell's one of the places that you go to to search for for stuff? Uh, I go there pretty regularly. I I go there about once, at least once a month, and I'll scan the shelves pretty hard. I'm I'm basically use Powell's as a as a place to get used books. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't buy a whole lot of new books there, but they get a pretty good circulation of used books coming and going. And um, if you're there right when something pops up, you can usually get good stuff there. And then the other place, there's a place ampersand in Portland that is a better source for new books. So I'll go there maybe once a month too and sort of scan just to keep up on what's out there. Yeah, as one, much as I can. When I uh, I started my 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 photo book collection when I was going to Berkeley, and on Telegraph they had several, uh, had like a half dozen used bookstores. One of which was yeah. Moe's, and uh, I would go there every week. You know, see what I could drum up, and because I was able to get these used books 
uh, for a bargain. And, this was back, uh, when was this, in the uh, 80s or 90s? Yeah, late 80s, early 90s. Uh-huh. So that's probably a good good time to get in the book world before it became sort of discovered, I think. Oh, yeah. So well, were, you, were you buying a lot of photo books then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was just grabbing. But that was my photo education. I would just grab those books and I would sit in my room and I would look at these these uh-huh. these books over and over and over again and just train myself how to see. Which were the ones that were the best or the most influential got uh there was stuff by um w eugene smith uh there was eugene richards mary ellen mark uh joe uh-huh. meyerwitz uh, lee friedlander so sort of the classic documentary 70s right. people yeah exactly so i would just pick those up and yeah i think i mean that stuff is still out there now online somewhere but it sort of gets buried in the more contemporary stuff so so yeah, you, did you keep all those books, or did you get yeah. rid of some? Yeah. Oh yeah. I as far as my photo books are concerned, I don't get rid of them. Yeah, you're yeah. like me. You can, it's hard to let go. I have some that I mean, they're I sort of bought them 20 years ago, and I probably wouldn't buy them today. But for some reason, I just I have them, and I can't get rid of them. <laughs> it's really it's, it's sort of dumb. Yeah. At some point, when I probably uh, at some point, I'm going to renovate my uh, garage and make that into a home office, and bookshelf space is going to be a priority. Just for the excuse that I'll be able to get more more books to put on the shelf. Yeah, there's something weird going on with photographers and books. I don't think I don't know if sculptors or painters have the same issue. I mean, I guess they need to have a reference library, but I think there's definitely a special sort of little mini world inside photography that is really catering to books. That uh, for whatever reason, maybe it's because photographs translate well to the two-dimensional images, or there, there might be something going on with uh, hoarding instincts. Who knows? Well, for me, it's always been about being able to to linker with the photograph. I mean, when I sit there in my chair and I have the book in my lap and I'm looking through the pictures, I experience them in a way that I just never would uh, looking at images on a computer because I'm just clicking. Okay, from but image. don't you think a, a sculptor would want to linger with a sculpture? Why? Why wouldn't? Why isn't the same urge there? You know, I don't maybe know. it is, or like uh, you know, an architect. Do they have like five thousand architecture books in the in their library? Maybe they do. I don't know. Well, I guess if I had friends that uh, more friends who weren't photographers, I probably would figure that out. <laughs> yeah. I listen to a lot of podcasts, many of which provide wonderful entertainment and diversions, but there are times when I'm looking for inspiration and insight into what it means to earn a living doing what I love. PhotoBiz Exposed is a podcast that I believe offers both for any photographer who's trying to make their life's passion their life's work. If you're a wedding or a portrait photographer and you want to learn how other successful photographers grow and expand their business, you should subscribe to the PhotoBiz Expos podcast and listen to Andrew Helmich explore what successful photographers are doing right. There is both a free and a premium version of the show, and you can take advantage of a special offer being made exclusively to TCF listeners. Visit their website today at photobizx.com forward slash TCF and find out for yourself how you can make a living doing what you love. Uh, so, you know, you shoot primarily film uh, rather than digital. I know that you shoot, you do have a, a digital camera, but most of your, 
your, your shooting involves film. Uh, tell right. me about um, the allure of that. Was that part of uh, you know your your beginnings as a photographer, or did you transition to to film? No, I, I've always shot film. I, that's how I learned, and that's I don't know if there's an allure, but I think the main reason is because I just more out of habit at this point. I mean, I I sort of started in the early '90s. I was back before digital, so I, you know the way you learned was you took a darkroom class and you shot film and processed the film and all that. And that's so I started with that, and then I I just sort of got into it, and I never felt a reason to move away from that. So, I mean, if I was starting now, it might be a whole different story. I'd probably shoot digital. I'm sure it would be a lot easier to get into it at that point. But, um, you know, at this point, I've been doing it so long, I sort of know it well. I like it. It has, sort of has a uniform look, and it it's what I – it just feels natural to me. So that's main, that's the main reason I do it. It's sort of like an old pair of shoes that I – you know why get why get a new pair when the old pair is working pretty well? So what's your what's the the, the film that you prefer to use? Uh, I don't really have a preference. I I'll shoot anything. I lately I've been shooting uh, Kent Muir just because that's what I can find online. Mm. I I've gone through every sort of film. I mean same thing with cameras. I've shot you know probably fifty different cameras. It's I'm not too attached to any of that stuff. It's just whatever works. Whatever I can put in the camera and get an image on. I mean I I think a lot of the and I think they all look pretty similar when it comes down to it. Maybe there's a few <clears throat> tweaks you can make here and there to your development, or I mean, or if you change film speeds radically. And uh, a lot of that stuff you can sort of create your own look in the darkroom too. I mean, I that is pretty uniform. I always print the same similar way on similar paper, and I can sort of uh, uniform it at that point. So you see the all the whole process through the print yourself. So you're working with a, in a with a with a lab at home or. No, I pro I process it myself. Process everything myself. Then I go to a rental darkroom and I print everything myself. I I don't uh, sub out anything. I like to. I'm sort of a control freak. Yeah. Well, I can I can get it to look the way I want it that way, and also I can do it faster and better. I think than most labs, so it's just easier that way. Are you are you the same way with the chemistry that you use for uh, the uh, processing in the uh, of the of the film and the and the prints and the paper that you use? What do you mean the same way with the chemistry? What? Well, you said you, you really don't care what film you're using, but in terms of the no, chemistry. No, I use the, I've been using D76 forever. That's what I usually use for developing. That stuff is, I mean, I use that just because it's uh, easily available online. And, you know, uh, one of my friends was using it 20 years ago, so I started using it. Just didn't feel the reason to stop. The reason I switch around film, I mean, I, I switch around films because a lot of the films that I used to use have either been discontinued or they got too expensive. So then I switched to something else that hasn't happened with the chemistry yet. And that's the same thing with cameras. I mean, I'll use a camera until it breaks. Then I get a new camera. I mean, that's, I'm not, there's no real reason beyond, beyond that. I just do whatever I use. What's in front of me when that gets either too expensive or discontinued, I'll switch. So how often are you getting into the darkroom to, to, to make prints? Is it like a weekly thing for you or or is it irregular? I try to get it there once a week. The last few months it's been a little more sporadic because I've been doing more traveling. But um, yeah, if I'm around town, I'll go there probably one, uh, at least three times a month. Let's put it that way. So I do, I'll spend like a, most of a day there, you know, not like a 24-hour day, but most of a working day there printing 
you know, I sort of come back home later and organize them and, um, I get, I get, I generate a pretty, pretty big stream of photos. Yeah. What I always enjoyed about the, the dark room was that it was such a sort of meditative practice. You know, you would get completely lost in that, in that dark room. It can be. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, uh, it focuses me. I mean, I, I think one problem with working on a computer is there's a lot of distractions for me. So I, it's hard for, I mean, I think even if I wanted to sit at a computer and print out a bunch of images, there'd be all these things sort of calling my attention. So the dark room, you know, it's just you and a lot of times I go in there and I'm alone. It's just me, my headphones and the, and the photography, it sort of narrows your attention a little bit and that's healthy. I mean, that you can call it meditative or you can just call it getting stuff done. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of uh forces you to just focus. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things I was doing recently is I was going through some older images and I realized how much easier it is, you know, on a computer to go back to, you know, several years back and look through that archive to see if there was a picture that I had missed. Do you right. find that you go through that same process with, with the film and looking at contact sheets or, or negative sleeves? And, no, I uh, never, never. <laughs> I go through them once. That's it. That's I, have, it. I have too many. I mean, I can't, I can't, it would be just be ridiculous to go through old stuff. I basically go, I make one trip through the contacts. It's usually about 10 months after I shot the picture and I'll, I look at them hard. I mean, I print anything that looks remotely interesting. I, and if I don't print it at that point, it's gone forever. <laughs> it's basically in the past. You know, I have, when I make that print, I have the little work print and that's my record of that picture. If it's any good, I'll put it in a little file and I can return to it later. But I'll never return to the contact. Mm. So is that a, pers a purposeful decision in terms of waiting that long before you actually uh, choose to make a print in 10 months? Uh, it's just because I'm backlogged. Like, it's ah, not on purpose. Okay. It's just the way it is. <laughs> Um, I know Eric has written about this in the marinating film and all that stuff and waiting a year to process. I, I, it's not, it's a way less conscious than that. It's just because, I mean, I print them as fast as I can. I shoot them as fast as I can. And there's just two streams sort of and on parallel courses that are basically 10 months apart. I don't want them to be that far apart, but that's how it is. I got you. I got you. Tell me about your involvement with in public. How did how did that start, and what's your experience been? Uh, my involvement is basically online. I mean, I've met some of them in real life. I met almost all of them when I went to uh, London a few years ago. But I've sort of interacted with people in real life here and there. But uh, it's mostly online. We have a discussion board. We chat over stuff and share images. And there's a uh, sort of a public portfolio site, which is more or less inactive. I mean, people update it once in a while, but um, I don't know. I view it as sort of like a resource. I mean, people can look at that and get ideas if they want, but it's very, it's not uh, uh, very active or sort of an evolving thing. It's more of a re reference library, I guess. Any plans to come back uh, to LA uh, this year? Uh, not this year. I'll be back at some point. I, possibly... You know, I really enjoyed the book fair that we went to. Mm -hmm. When I was there that weekend, I saw you. There's the L.A. book fair. Right. Mm -hmm. And that might be a good excuse to come down next January to sort of come to that and then also get a little sunshine. January is a good time to come, I think, um, yeah. just to get out of winter. And then, you know, if I can make it happen with the book fair, that could be fun. Cool. And it's only it's pretty cheap to fly there. So that might work. 
Well, hopefully we can cross paths. I may come up there. You're part of town at some point. I have some yeah, friends that live up there. Look me up if you if you come. And uh, yeah, I'll get in touch next time I'm in L.A. So. All right, man. Take care. Thanks again. We're pleased to announce the release of the first in a series of TCF-branded ebooks for 2015. The Candid Frame on Street Photography is a book in which I share tips and techniques that have helped me to develop as a street photographer, and I'm sharing it with you for free. Just sign up for the Candid Frame mailing list by visiting the website or clicking on the link in the show notes. Get it today, read it, and then get out in the street and start shooting. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the show. The Candid Frame is brought to you by the generous contributions of listeners like you. To help support the work we do at TCF, please take the time to make a donation via PayPal for $10, $20, $50, or more. Your contributions have helped to make the show what it is. I'd also like to thank our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, and our music is provided by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.